tonight, and Lord, we ask that you would take this time and use it to your honor and glory to encourage us, to give us knowledge and wisdom, and Lord, the ability to choose to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. All right, I am apologize for not having an outline tonight. I just got researching different things and... Uh, just literally uh, ran out of time. I want to bring some quotes to you, and I will try to have some of this prepared for uh, next uh, week in a little better form than it is. But uh, tonight, what we're going to deal with as we continue our study about what the Bible says about wine uh, with an application to other intoxicating substances, we could also put addictive practices in there as well, because the, the pattern of addiction is basically the same. It's just the substance, uh, whether it is your cell phone and Facebook or your computer or uh, uh, pornography or uh, alcohol, drugs. I mean, just you go down through the list. You know, some people are addicted to work. And uh, that is where they get uh, their sense of well-being, and, and we'll deal with that in, uh, in due course. But before we do, I want to go over some more information. Last week, we dealt with basically the cost, what, what happens in society because of alcoholic drink. And what we found out is, uh, com just comparing our numbers, in 2014... The sale of alcoholic beverage generated $211 billion for the American economy. In 2010, it cost $249 billion to the American economy. That's not a good exchange. As our president might say, that's not a good deal. Uh, of course, he would disagree, I would think, because uh, as far as we can tell, he's not against uh, the imbibing of alcoholic beverage, but I'm just putting forth something here. Alcohol does not, no argument you can put forth, gives alcohol a positive light economically or societally. It, it does not help. Uh, we, uh, I remember one time uh, a fellow was trying to argue the point that... Uh, Beer is natural and coffee is unnatural. And, uh, of course, that was not his only problem, but uh, I, I assured him, I said, now here, I just want you to compare the two. Uh, I said, in every city in the United States, in every hospital in the United States, we have certain doctors in certain parts of that hospital that are to deal with drug and alcohol dependence. Uh, we have treatment centers all over the country. You can go from the big fancy ones that the high-priced uh, uh, celebrities go to to dry out, or you can just... It, it's everywhere. I said, could you find me one Betty Ford home for recovering coughaholics? Yeah, I'm being a little smart, Alec, but... So was he, amen? And sometimes you have to answer stupid with, to illustrate how ridiculous it is. 
How many kids have gone without food so mom and dad could buy coffee? Or Coca-Cola, or put it in there. But how many children have literally been harmed all their life developmentally because their parents wouldn't give them enough food to grow normally because they wanted to buy alcohol. That is an unquestionable statistic. Alcohol cost our society. And tonight I just want to give a few points here in addition to that is alcohol does not happen by accident. Uh, when I was growing up, one of the reasons I spend so much time on this issue is I was growing up, I grew up in a, in a Baptist-like, a non-denominational church, and, uh, and I was told that, oh yes, Jesus drank wine, but, but he never got drunk because he was God. Okay. Um, did Jesus involve himself in any other destructive behavior types and tell us it's okay to involve yourself in this destructive behavior as long as you don't do it too much? I mean, that's back to lesson two. Uh, drunkenness is a sin, and it doesn't matter if you're just a little drunk or a whole lot drunk. Uh, it's still a sin. Amen? And so, as we look tonight, we want to understand, okay, you have the basic components, okay? First, you've got to have the juice. Uh, then you have to have a culture or yeast. You have to control the sugar content. You have to control the temperature. You have to control the time. And you have to control the atmospheric interaction, the uh, natural air. You cannot, uh, I was told when I was a kid, if you just, if you take grape juice and roll it under the couch and leave it set, it's going to be wine. How many of you believed that at one time in your life? I mean, that's, that's what they told us. It does not happen. If you take grape juice you buy at the store and put it under the bed for six months, it will make you very sick, and that's it. Nothing else. Uh, there will be no alcohol because they've removed all of the substance out of the grape juice that would produce the alcohol. You've got to have the yeast or the culture. It's got to be the right kind. You see, they take the juice, and usually we, they talk about, well, you'd press the juice into the cup like they did for Pharaoh in the Bible, and and you'd set the cup aside and come back in a couple of weeks and it would be alcohol. No. Uh, my grandfather used to make vinegar. Now, here's how you made vinegar. You would take fresh pressed apple cider, unfiltered, put it in a jug, usually one of those big earthenware things like a five-gallon jug, and you'd fill it up about three-quarters of the way full, and you would not put a cork in it. And you would set that thing. And I remember one time, Granddad, what's this? And being a little mischievous, my granddad, oh, give it a smell. See what you think. So I reach down there. Oh, my. Uh, I can still almost feel the shivers. I mean, it was, it was fermenting apple juice. But you know what he got when he was all done? 
vinegar. That is the natural fermentation process. And is there anyone here that does not understand the benefits, the health benefits of vinegar? I mean, they tried to one time, I I wish I had documentation on all this stuff, but I I read it in an article and put it up here and then try to put it on paper. And when I copy it out, I just end up with a big mess. I'm going to be reading some quotes here in a little bit. But they tried to fractionally uh, distill vinegar and isolate all of the compounds that are in vinegar. And what they found out was there were so many different substances naturally occurring in the vinegar that they couldn't actually categorize them all. Vinegar is good for you. It will help you. They, they, if you will take alcoholic wine in the fermentation process and allow the fermentation process to finish, you know what you're going to get? Vinegar. That is what naturally happens. To make alcohol, you have to so control the process of the fermentation. Most, uh, this would be the standard way they do it. First, you get the grape juice out of the grapes. Sometimes, depending on the winemaker, he will leave the husk and the other parts in. Other times, he will take it out. But it must be heated to a sufficient temperature to kill all the naturally occurring bacteria and yeast and cultures that are in uh, the grape juice. It must be made sterile. Then, they have to add the proper amounts of both yeast or a culture... And I found out that, um, let me just skip ahead here and read this here. Let me see here. Um, International competition within the wine market, consumer demands for newer styles of wine, and increasing concerns about environmental sustainability of wine production are providing new challenges for innovation in wine fermentation. This is out of a, a, a scholarly paper on to the wine industry. And it says, With the total production chain, the alcoholic fermentation of grape juice by yeast is a key process where winemakers can creatively engineer wine character and value through better yeast management and thereby strategically tailor wines to a changing market. This review considers the importance of yeast ecology, yeast metabolic reactions in determining wine quality, and then discusses new directions for exploiting yeast in wine fermentation. Does that sound just a little bit complicated? You should have read the rest of the paper. This is just the opening summary paragraph. Uh, What I'm trying to illustrate here is Winemaking is one of the most complicated processes known to mankind. You don't get alcoholic wine by accident. It only happens on purpose. And then the, the question uh, is sometimes leveled at Noah, if, if this is true, then how did Noah, why did Noah come up with alcoholic wine? And the simple answer to that is, 
He did come up with alcoholic wine, and once he saw what it did, the Bible has no record that he ever allowed it to happen again. That, that is the proper answer, my friend. And besides, Noah had nowhere to go and understand uh, all of the things that might and could happen here. And so, let's talk about sugar. Uh, I read ten articles today that talked about how global warming was making grapes more sweet and how that the higher sugar content was leading to higher alcohol in wines. But let me just read this to you. It's the sugar content is naturally occurring in the juice, but if it's below 18% saturated sugar in the juice, the wine will not produce alcohol and will immediately work its way toward vinegar. If it's above 26%, the the metabolic rate of producing the alcohol in the wine will suffocate itself. So, that sugar level has to fall within an 8% realm of error. And in my old notes, I have a little thing here that says, try that one in the major leagues. Uh, if you're a major league baseball player, try to keep your batting average within 8%. Uh, no player has ever done that. 33% is fantastic. And yet, if the sugar level moves up or down too high, it's not going to produce wine. At temperature, below 50 degrees, no fermentation. Above 75 degrees, uh, uh, and that is conditional. This was an old book I got this out of, and we'll touch on this in, in just a moment. Uh, the alcohol production stops and it starts going over to the uh, acetatus or uh, acidic or vinegar uh, producing agent. The author pointed out in the Bible times, in the harvest, the temperature was often averaging around 100 degrees. How would you maintain the temperature to make alcoholic wine? How would you maintain the sugar? Now, I'll tell you, the ancient Romans did it. And the samples that we have found, most, most people would agree that if you could actually recreate the wine of the ancient Romans, no one in their right mind would drink the stuff. Uh, it would be sour. It would Sometimes they even would take burning pitch and pour it into the wine to reduce the vinegary taste. Uh, you could also get poisoned that way, but uh, you'll, you will find that people who want to drink wine will let very few things get in their way. The um, carbolic gas that is produced has to be dissipated. If it isn't, if it's all corked up during the fermentation, it will actually kill all the yeast and stop the fermentation process. It, it is very, very complex. And it has to be regulated. Do you know all you have to do to preserve grape juice? You have 
several different methods that were known hundreds of years before Jesus walked the face of the earth. One is you boiled the water out of the grape juice and made a syrup and sealed it. And because the sugar content was so high, it would not ferment. You could keep it for years. Uh, this is how they laid up provisions for siege. And this is, in the Bible, it's often talked about water and wine and all of that and mixing the water. And what they would do is they would take this grape honey, is what it was often called, and use it to reconstitute a form of juice. Uh, it wouldn't have been extremely palatable unless you added a little sugar to it or did it in very strong quantities. Hence, the strong drink is often referring to just a, an unmixed wine. And, and so, uh, and the other way was simply to heat the wine till the juice, until the bacteria was gone, and then seal it from air. And by the way, you can preserve grapes and apples and all manners of fruit exactly the same way by keeping it away from the oxygen in the air that would ruin or spoil uh, the fruit. Now, uh, I want to take a moment and there is a point that the wines of today are much more potent than the wines of yesteryear's. And uh, here's what the, let's see, this article is called uh, Alcoholic Drinks Are 10% Boozier Than Wine from the 90s. And it says, likewise, the longer a grape ripens, the more sugar it's apt to develop. When there's more sugar, the yeast have more to convert, which results in more alcohol. Next sentence. Don't blame the grape, though, for a rise in alcohol. Instead, says Seattle-based certified sommeliers, however you say that, wine expert, Yashir Shayan, the rise can at least be attributed in part to the consumer. People like it, he says. They claim they don't, but they do. It's a choice. And here, again, is quoting, um, let me see here. They, uh, this is a working paper published last May by the American Association of Wine Economists. Tens of thousands of alcohol levels for wines imported between 1992 and 2007 um, uh, were analyzed and compared with actual temperature increases in their regions of origin. The wine economists were able to show that the increase and average alcohol levels was much greater than could be explained by any changing climate and concluded, our findings lead us to think that the rise in alcohol content of wine is primarily man-made. And so I want you to understand that we do have alcohol, beverage, people got drunk, the Bible reports it in the Bible, and yet... This is one of the reasons why the disciples on the day of Pentecost, when they were accused of being drunken, they said it's the third hour of the day. They hadn't had enough time to consume the quantity of the lower level alcohol that was necessary 
to become inebriated. He said, we haven't had enough time to get drunk yet. And uh, that's why gluttony and drunkenness are often put together in the Bible. And, and so there's just some ideas here. We want you to understand this. Making wine does not happen naturally. It happens on purpose. What is going on is we have better engineering. They are breeding yeast. The older yeast used to die at anywhere between 8 and 10% at the very most. Now we have yeast that can live in a 16% alcohol content. And if that doesn't work, winemakers are always uh, available to talk to the spirit distillers and just add a little bit of the pure stuff there and raise it to the point to where we have wines now at 17 to 22 percent alcohol content, which 50 to 100 years ago was only available in distilled spirits. And we are looking at simply a choice that is being made. Now, I want us to go to Genesis chapter 3 because everybody tells us that wine is good in this, and, and we have showed that financially it isn't good. Uh, socially, what it does to society as a whole is not good. It always costs more than it gives. Sin follows that pattern. But the thing that I, I just want to touch on, uh, the remainder here, and this is what makes this study so difficult, is trying to keep all the facts in line and then uh, bring out something that's actually uh, dealing with the deeper issues, the spiritual side of this thing from the Bible. You see, this whole thing of moderation and drinking responsibly and taking... Uh, Alcohol as a good part of society demands one thing. It demands an unerring faith in the goodness of mankind. Now, how many of you know what the Bible says about that? How could we start? The Bible says the heart is what? Deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But I, I want us to take that thought about drinking responsibly and how this is a good thing that we have painted here. And let's go to the book of Genesis, if you would, chapter 3. And we will find that this is one of the devil's standard lies that he has built into society here. How many of you remember the rich young ruler? He came running and fell down before Jesus in the way and said, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that? He was asking the right man the right question, wasn't he? Hello? And his desperation as a, a wealthy man, a leader of society, to fall down at Jesus' feet, this is a demonstration of his true earnestness. And yet, what was Jesus' response? Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one, that is God. And the rich young ruler never made that mistake again, did he? 
because he went his way because he would not give up his riches to get Jesus. It's not the riches that were the problem. It was the love of them. How many times does it say in the Gospels that Jesus had no need for anyone to testify what was in man because he already knew what was in man? Several passages here. But here's verse 5. It says, For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Here it is. And ye shall be as what? Ye shall be as gods. Hasn't that been, when we talk about the goodness of man, when we trust in the goodness of man to handle something as dangerous as alcohol responsibly, here's what we're doing. We're becoming little gods over our own destiny. We control ourselves. And when we fail, we say, well, I just, I made a mistake. I messed up on my self-control. We've, we've already dealt with this. Drunkenness is not the only sin in the Bible, it's not treated and it should not be treated any differently than any other sin. It is certainly not greater than hatred or uh, pride or any of the other sins in the Bible, but it is still a sin and it must be dealt with. You see, look at Judges 21, the last verse of the book of Judges. Just find Ruth and you'll be right there. Twenty-one, twenty-five. In those days there was no king of Israel. What's the next phrase? Read it with me if you would. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We've already established the whole purpose why alcoholic wine is much more potent today than it was even uh, ten years ago, twenty years ago, is simply because of man's desire. The consumer said, now... Several articles I read, they're looking for a yeast that will produce a lower alcohol content in wine so you can drink more of it and not get schnockered so quick. Uh, so you can enjoy wine with your lunch and still go back to work. And um, yet, here's what I want us to understand. If wine were any other substance we would have no problem whatsoever classifying it as an evil, shunning it, realizing how wrong it is, but there's an awful lot of emotion attached to it. There are generations of history attached to it. And I want to challenge you, if we are going to get past this, we have to understand, I'm not strong enough to deal with the temptation. How is the best way never to become an alcoholic? Don't take the first drink. That's how simple it is. And the reason it is so hard to get past is because of mankind making his own decisions in deference to God. We have people 
wine, alcohol and wine consumption is up. Go with me to Jeremiah 44, and it just illustrates this point. Um, the children of Israel, uh, Jerusalem's been destroyed. One of the remnants has come to Jeremiah and, um, and says, listen, we, we want you to pray for us. We want you to uh, uh, get us some direction. And uh, Jeremiah prayed to God and he came back to them and he gave them the direction. And let's just look at verse 16. As for the word of the Lord that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee, but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the Queen of Heaven and to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. For then had we plenty of victuals Vittles and were well and saw no evil. You see, Lord willing, in, in the next week or two, we're going to be dealing with the entire issue of prohibition. That was a movement in this country that brought about legal, um, uh, uh, a pro, legal prohibition of selling alcoholic beverage in the United States. It was uh, very controversial. It was actually an amendment that was passed to the Constitution of the United States. Most of what you will hear from the 1920s, the, the, the acts were uh, passed, I think they were in 1919, finally adopted in 1921. And uh, all you hear about is the Roaring Twenties, the gangsters, the speakeasies, all of the lawlessness that was there. And yet, to illustrate this, the worst single act of violence in the entire Roaring Twenties was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, where Al Capone sent his thugs in to murder four people. Uh, this nutcase in Austin killed four people, injured five others, and held the whole city captive, just one guy, and nobody even knows why he did it. He, uh, he has no, left us no clues. It's, I, I want to tell you something. It wasn't near as bad as people said it was. But people will make their own decisions. They will choose to do what they deem is right. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10. Now here the context is dealing with food that was sacrificed to idols that the um, people in the city of Corinth had access to. And some people were eating it and other people were being offended by it. And here was Paul's statement in chapter 10 verse 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now, this is one of those verses that people just love to pull out of context of the Scriptures. 
and make it say whatever they want. Are you going to lose your salvation as a Christian if you drink alcohol? No. Because you cannot lose your salvation. That is the gift of God. Amen? He is the one that saves us. But how many places in this book called the Bible are we challenged? Look at the next verse. Let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth. Do you know what? You may get away with something. You may have a uh, 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 physiology in your, your body, uh, chemical reactions and all of those things that will allow you to imbibe alcohol and not suffer the reactions. But the people that follow after you might not. Billy Sunday, the great preacher against alcohol, raised three sons, all three of which died drunkard's deaths. You see, that's a price that's too high to pay, my friend. We, we cannot just get caught up in the emotion of this. We have to understand. You and I, we're not gods. Not even little g, little o, little d, little s. We are saved by grace. God did not save us to go into the world and live like the world. God did not save us to do things and to live a lifestyle that would encourage other people to draw closer to the world. We do not have the choice to do what we want to do. We have the choice to do what Jesus tells us to do. This is what the verse, love thy neighbor as thyself, really means means I'm going to make life choices that will enable others who follow in my footsteps or follow my example, they're not going to be able to use the example of my life to involve themselves in things that will destroy them. I've had people argue the great Baptist preacher at the turn of the last century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, drank alcohol until he saw an advertisement that said, this is Mr. Spurgeon's brand. When he saw that, he understood that he had no right to involve himself in that type of behavior, and he stopped. You see, I can argue with you and I can present every logical reason why alcohol is evil. But the only reason 
you will not drink is because you choose to love the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way as to not allow offense to other people you're trying to witness to. Can we say amen to that? That, that is the Bible. That is what we are after. By the way, that works for smoking. Anything from, uh, I was going to say from grass, but that is, no longer means grass. When, uh, when, I, when I was a kid, you would go out into the field and you'd pick the, uh, the large things of uh, uh, hollow-stemmed grass, that wild grass that grew, and you'd light it on. Ah, my dad caught me doing that. only did that once. You see, we shouldn't imitate the world as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can prove God meant, and God is the one that allowed fermentation to process. He's the one that invented all of these things, but... If you will allow the fermentation process to work its way through without all of the meddling and the regulation and the stopping of the process and all of this, all you're going to get is healthful vinegar. The alcohol will be uh, evaporate you'll, uh, over a process of time and what you will get is something that is healthful. Now, I don't recommend... Uh, uh, somebody gave me a uh, a bottle years ago of some unfiltered vinegar and said, now you just need to drink two ounces of this every day. And I, I tried that for a little bit, but it got, whew, I just, uh, I figured I'd uh, die of something else before I'd die of drinking the vinegar. Amen. And, uh, but it is healthy. It is good for you. But the ultimate issue is, we do not trust in our own goodness to handle sin. We trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And He has given me freedom. No, I won't go to hell if I drink a beer. But I never have. And by God's grace, never will. Because I don't want anyone using me as an excuse to destroy their lives. Now we can prove all of the destructive things that alcohol does, all of the crazy things people do. One old preacher said, he said, I don't call it Budweiser. He says, I call it Bud Stupid. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure about the grammar there, but I, I agree with the point he was making. How about you? And uh, because of all the foolish things people do, if we'll just understand you don't have to have this stuff. And all of those good, whatever you want to call them, are in the juice. They're not in the alcohol. And if you need the complex esters and resins and all of that, have at it. Drink the vinegar. They're all there. I promise you. You don't need the alcohol. The only reason it's there is because we want it. Now, I need you to pray as we try to finish this series out. 
because they want to deal with prohibition and all of the problems that are there. If we were alive in the 1920s and the 19-teens, chances are, we, if believing what we believe, we'd have been part of the prohibition movement. But, if we can take a look, I want us to see the fallacies of the prohibition movement and then... Um, the other part I want to deal with is the issue of escapism. You see, that's why people want alcohol. Because it bends and alters reality. And that doesn't only apply to alcoholic drink. It applies to the many different drugs and the hallucinogens that are out there and um, uh, much of this heavy metal, rock and roll music kind of thing, these are all things that alter your perception of reality. And people seek these things. Why? Because they don't like what they have. The, the ultimate end of that is suicide. And again, I'll quote the Bible, sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. And we as Christians... And, and I just want you to pray as I put these together because I'll tell you this is some of the most convicting stuff I've ever studied uh, is because we all look for types of escape. How many of you have ever taken a mini vacation? You just sat there and closed your eyes and whether it's the rippling trout stream in the mountains or the beach and the water lapping, whatever your little escape is, you... Oh... Now I can face the problems. No, it actually doesn't work that way, does it? It just makes them bigger because you didn't deal with them. And so I want you to pray that I can put this together in a way that's going to be beneficial and, and most of all biblical force. And we'll try to finish up uh, this, this study in the next several weeks. Um, we will probably take a break next week, next Thursday night, because the kids from the inner city missions class will be here, and uh, we'll keep things moving. But uh, I do want you to pray with me as we prepare this study that uh, there, there's just so, so much information out there, and uh, most of it just boils down to exactly what we talked about tonight. You have to make a personal choice. That's how you got saved. Amen? That's how you live for Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us keep in mind the devil's lies. And Lord, that we would never trust in our own goodness or our own strength or our own ability. Lord, that we would take a warning from those that spoke to Jeremiah and said, we're going to do it our own way. Because they only brought death and destruction to their families and themselves. Lord, we pray that you would help us to use the freedom you have given us by saving us and forgiving all of our sins. To draw closer to you and walk in that narrow road that we may be without excuse the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we finish that prayer, if God's spoken to you about something you'd like to come up, the altar is open.